1: Good morning, and welcome to the Q1 Fiscal 2021 Financial Results Conference Call for HLS Therapeutics. On this morning's call, we have Gilbert Gaudin, Chief Executive Officer, and Tim Hendrickson, Chief Financial Officer. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following management's presentation, we'll conduct a Q&A session during which analysts are invited to ask questions. To ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone to register. Should you require any assistance during the call, please press star 0. Earlier this morning, HLS issued a news release announcing its financial results for the three-month period ended March 31st, 2021. This news release, along with the company's MD&A and financial statements, will be available on HLS's website and on CDAR. Please note that slides accompanying today's call uh, can be uh, viewed via the webcast, a link of which is available in the company's earnings press release and at its website on the events page. Certain matters discussed in today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions could constitute forward-looking statements. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. Risk factors that could affect results are detailed in the company's annual information form, which has been uh, filed on CDAR at www.cdar.com. During uh, this conference call, HLS will refer to adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted EBITDA does not have any standardized meaning uh, prescribed by IFRS. Adjusted EBITDA is defined in the company's press release and annual filings that are available on CDAR and on the company's website. Please note that all financial information provided is in U.S. dollars, unless otherwise specified. I would now like to turn the conference over to
2: Mr. Godin. Please go ahead. Thank you, Colin. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. On our call today, I will start off with a review of our operational highlights. Tim will follow with a more detailed look at our financial results, and then we'll hold a Q&A session. HLS delivered solid financial results in the first quarter and achieved important milestones in the rollout of the despite the strict COVID-19 lockdowns that were in place throughout the quarter. Among those milestones are, one, the steady increases in patients and prescribers throughout the quarter. Two, more than 90 percent of qualified privately insured lives in Canada are now eligible for reimbursement of Vsepa. Three, the Canadian Cardiovascular Society issued updated guidelines that recommend Vsepa to reduce cardiovascular disease for qualified patients in label. and finally, complementary trial analysis presented at the International Stroke Conference of 2021, showed that the SIPA as reducing not only first, but also total strokes by 28 and 32%, respectively. With a quick look at the headline numbers, the first quarter revenue was $14.3 million, adjusted EBITDA was $6.7 million, and cash from operations was $7.2 million, all of which were increases over the first quarter of last year. Tim will look at quarterly and annual results in more detail, but of course, we're very pleased with these results, especially considering the impact from the pandemic, as we will see in a minute. Quarter to quarter, the number of patients being prescribed with increased by 40% in the first quarter to almost 2,900, and the number of prescribing physicians increased 33% to over 730. These are robust growth numbers considering the challenges we face in reaching physicians and in patients reaching their physicians during lockdown conditions. As these numbers attest to, we continue to find ways to to make meaningful contact, and we are succeeding in raising awareness and generating trials for the product with key opinion leaders and all other prescribers we call on. We remain encouraged from what we see, both in terms of the engagement and the response from practitioners, and in terms of the trends for prescribers and patient uptake. Cardiovascular disease remains the number one killer worldwide. Statins alone are not enough. Vesipa is the first and the only Health Canada-approved drug that has been proven to significantly reduce the risk of death or major cardiac event in patients having a persistent, cardiovascular risk despite the use of a satin. As the only drug in this class, it has the potential to improve the lives of hundreds of thousands of Canadians. At this point, I would like to turn your attention to the slides that are viewable on the webcast. If you missed the opening preamble, the webcast link can be found in our press release issued this morning and on our website in the events section. The first slide summarizes the updated lipid management guidelines of the Canadian Cardiovascular Society issued on March 26th as it relates to our in-label patients. The guidelines state that VSIPA should be considered when a patient with established cardiovascular disease or an at-risk diabetics has elevated triglyceride as a marker of the persistent risk despite being treated with a statin. The treatment chart also specified that Visipa is the only product indicated in such circumstances, and that, and I quote, the strong recommendation is supported by high quality evidence. Conversely, it also specifically strongly recommend against, OTC omega-3 supplements. It couldn't be a clearer recognition of the unique, differentiated clinical benefits of Visipa. The inclusion of Visipa in the CCS guidelines is particularly gratifying for us. It is one thing for HLS to extol the virtues of the reduced trial results and for Health Canada to approve the medication. But that does not provide physician with guidance relative to other approved therapy. So it is quite another thing when a highly regarded independent organization made up of specialized experts and key opinion leaders in the field of lipid disorder, cardiology, and endocrinology strongly recommends the usage of icosapent ethyl, which is VICEPA, for the full in-label patient population. We're now up to 15 international medical societies that recommend PASIPA for cardiovascular disease prevention. The second slide shows weekly script data from the product launch last year through April 23, 2021. There are two key takeaways here. First of all, we've generated steady uh, and now visibly accelerating growth in the number of scripts since our launch, despite being very constricted in our interactions with physicians during the pandemic. I don't think we need to convince anyone about the challenges uh, we've been facing in the field in Canada during these days. And I want to draw your attention the graph on the right-hand side of the slide that shows the difference over time between a normal patient and practitioner engagement, represented by the top line, and the one resulting from the pandemic, which is the lower line over the past 14 months. The space in between indicates what we call the patient gap. For, For cardiovascular in particular, that patient gap is estimated at approximately 25%. Furthermore, additional data indicates that only 35% of those patients' visits are in person today versus approximately 95% pre-COVID. A third data point is that patients' and physicians' comfort at initiating a therapy over the phone is 35 to 50% lower than it is when they're visiting face to face. With that in mind, if we now return to the total script graph on the left side, it's a testament to our team and the product to have established such a steady uptake during a chaotic period as shown by the jagged curve on the right. When in-person visits with practitioners have been greatly reduced. It also goes to show that there is a large portion of the launch opportunity that is untapped. And that excludes, of course, the expansion of the market that will occur when we increase our promotional activity as the public markets open. Secondly, while we don't want to get uh, too far ahead of ourselves here, the upward trend of the curve preceded the guideline publication that took place at the very end of March. The guideline inclusion on its own will have a beneficial and progressive long-lasting effect. Achieving reimbursement coverage for more than 90% of eligible patients and private plans, becoming part of the CCS guidelines, and completion of the public payer negotiations with PCPA are all 2021 events that individually or collectively will help accelerate script adoption this year and assist in reaching the inflection point. The next slide that we introduced uh, two quarters ago compares the uptake of Visipa to the post-launch script performance of two other cardiovascular drugs, Eliquis and Pradexa, launched over the past 10 years. We call it the uh, hurricane cone slide internally. As a reminder, all analogs are imperfect, but we think they are useful in helping create a sense of perspective. These two anticoagulant drugs have a similar aim in terms of focus on cardiovascular risk reduction. Although they did not launch in a pandemic environment, but we include their historical experience here for illustrative purposes only. Quick recap of what this slide shows us. First of all, the continues to track as well or better than these two successful launches at the early stages. As we look at the initial quarters, it illustrates that we are approaching the inflection that typically occurs within the first 18 to 24 months. And as I alluded to earlier, This generally corresponds with the opening of market access with both publics and private payers, and an increase in field promotional activity. Secondly, as seen on the far right side, we anticipate peak year potential of 130 to 150 thousand patients, which is a base uh, for our 275 to 325 million Canadian dollars in peak year sales target. When compared to where those two analogs ended at maturity in terms of patient counts, and eloquence is, of course, a big one in particular, reaching almost 300,000 patients, it suggests that despite the obstacle course we operate in, VESIPA is up to a good start and is en route to our peak patient level. You will note that the number of scripts for VESIPA in the most recent quarter was 5,525. That includes a a, uh, a slight adjustment for the last week or two of that period. This is just below the low end of the range we anticipated for the product for the period. We believe the second wave of the pandemic and the strict lockdowns in Ontario and Quebec during the first quarter have definitely impacted this number. With the benefit of insight and given the severity of that situation as we exited the first quarter, we have adjusted the ranges for the next few quarterly period and try to root those in the reality of what we have just observed. We believe it is responsible to revise the number despite it uh, being difficult and ingrate to forecast in this environment. Nevertheless, the trend forward is upward, and we see five catalysts combining to shape this view. Of the coming quarters, they are first of all achieving 90% plus in labeled patient reimbursement in the private market. We completed during the, this during the mar, month of March. We'll, have, uh, we'll see will start to have greater impact in the coming quarter, notably providing a lift by improving the uh, gross to net sales. Secondly, the guidelines create a long-lasting heavy trend, a groundswell. Thirdly, after the slow start, Canadian vaccination progress is being made now on the vaccine rollout, and restrictions should evolve. And I can tell you, if the U.S. is an indication, relief is on the way. Uh, It definitely impacts favorably the business environment that we are in. Fourth, the completion of the public market access negotiations. And finally, the Salesforce expansion is the final element where we will go from essentially 1X to 3X in scope. In the meantime, as evidenced by the first quarter's performance, we continue to work hard to mitigate or neutralize any negative external factor. And I'm sure all of you would agree that the shape of our hurricane cone and the inflection point it contains will leave very little doubt about where Visipa will be heading. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, we're staying focused on the big picture. And the big picture is that while the effect of the pandemic is significant, it is temporary. And it does not change the fact that the need for cardiovascular protection remains immense. The VSEPA solution is unique, and therefore the VSEPA potential remains unchanged. Overall, the trend in engagement by physicians and the growing number of patients taking the medication is undeniable and our excitement level remains high as we look forward to a progressive return to more normal operating conditions. Looking now at Clozurel, our solid first quarter results again reflects its resilience and strong attributes as a foundational product for HLS. Plus, patient count in Canada was up by about 2% annualized in the first quarter and is tracking marginally ahead of the overall market. We were encouraged that the March numbers showed annualized patient growth at twice that rate, but the end of the quarter coincided with stricter sanitary measures and the market closing again in Ontario, Quebec, and Alberta. When we emerge from lockdown, we expect new patient access to Closaryl to trend upwards at a stronger clip. In March, the Quebec Ministry of Health announced a change in reimbursement that could limit our access to new patients. Uh, I'm talking Closaryl exclusively here. I want to clarify that this regulation is not aimed at Closaryl specifically and is applying to an entire sub-segment of the market. Now, the important thing to remember is that our large existing cohort of patients in Quebec are not impacted by this change and that we are active in finding a way to provide unrestricted access to all Quebec patients, old and new, under the new umbrella of the Closaril CSAN support system. CSAN Pronto, our point-of-care safety blood monitoring device, that is aimed at replacing traditional blood draw, which is the biggest barrier to clozapine adoption, is also expected to help improve patient access to clozaril. CSAN san is now at 31 discrete locations, which is up from 23 at the end of the fourth quarter. The response from practitioner remains positive and usage is up more than twofold versus the previous quarter we're starting to experience the potential of this product to bring an essential treatment option to a larger patient population. We're also looking forward to the introduction of two recently approved products in our neuroscience stable, Proceris and the MyCare psychiatry lab assays. Both assets are novel treatment options or clinical tools for practitioners in psychiatry and can leverage our existing commercial infrastructure relationship, and reach in the Canadian psychiatric market. Plans for commercializations are ongoing, and we expect to have both in the market in the second half of 2021. With that, I will turn it over to Tim for a closer look at our first quarter financials. Tim?
3: Thank you, Gilbert, and good morning, everyone. I'll start by taking a look at revenue and product sales. Revenue for Q1 was $14.3 million, up from $13.9 million in Q1 last year. Revenue increased Revenue. due to higher sales from Vsepa as well as higher royalty revenues. On a sequ- sequential quarterly basis, it was another very solid quarter of sales growth for Vsepa, despite continued lockdowns, as Vsepa sales increased 45% from Q4 of last year, reflecting a 33% increase in prescribers and 40% increase in patients. As Gilbert mentioned, the number of clausoral patients in Canada increased by an annualized rate of 2% in Q1, while clausural net sales in Canada in Q1 decreased 2.9%. The net sales decrease was due to additional trade purchasing that took place late in Q1 last year in response to the early stages of the pandemic. Over time, we expect clausoral net sales growth to more or less follow the growth in patients. At the end of Q3 last year, we acquired a diversified portfolio of royalty interests on the global sales of four different products. Royalty revenues in Q1 from this portfolio were $2.5 million. Royalty revenues in Q1 last year were $2.3 million and were based on sales of Absorica in the U.S. market. As intended from the outset of that agreement, HLS terminated its ownership of the Abzorica marketing rights effective December 31, 2020. As a reminder, we expect that the new royalty portfolio will generate adjusted EBITDA, averaging just under $11 million annually over the next 10 years, or an annual IRR in excess of 20% during that period. In addition to the solid financial return, this acquisition provides revenue diversification, and the stable cash flows from these royalty interests do not distract management's attention from our operational focus on Visipa, Clauserol, and CSAN Pronto, and our growing portfolio of products. Shifting now to expenses, cost of product sales in Q1 was essentially flat to Q1 2020, while other operating expenses of $6.9 million decreased 1.9% from Q1 last year. Selling and marketing activities were $3.2 million, a $0.4 million decrease from Q1 last year, which included certain expenses related to the initial launch of the CIPA. Medical, regulatory, and patient support activities and general and administrative costs increased 0.1 million and 0.2 million respectively, with much of that increase tied to appreciation in the exchange rate. We have kept a close eye on expenses during the pandemic, which puts us in a good position to invest some additional resources this year to support, among other things, education surrounding the inclusion of the CEPa and the Canadian Cardiovascular Society guidelines And increased sales and marketing activities as lockdowns ease. Adjusted EBITDA for Q1 was $6.7 million, an increase of 10% from Q1 last year. This was primarily due to increased product sales from VSEPA, higher royalty revenues, and modestly lower operating expenses than Q1 last year. Going forward, we expect continued and accelerating VSEPA sales growth, as well as planned increases to support VSEPA as the market opens and then as we expand sales coverage in conjunction with broader market access. Cash generated from operations was $7.2 million in Q1, up from $5.3 million in Q1 last year. At quarter end, HLS had cash and cash equivalents of $23.2 million, up from $20.6 million at the end of 2020. Overall, we continue to have a strong financial position with the $23.2 million of cash, and cash equivalents, a $35 million revolving facility that remains undrawn as of today, and under the terms of our credit agreement, we are also able to request incremental loans up to a maximum amount of $70 million to support acquisitions and other growth opportunities. In addition, in 2020, we filed a preliminary short form base shelf prospectus to raise up to Canadian $250 million that is available um, should the appropriate strategic opportunity emerge. And finally, yesterday, the Board of Directors declared that the subsequent quarterly dividend of Canadian five cents per outstanding common share is to be paid on September 15th, 2021, to shareholders of record as of July 30th, 2021. With that, I'll pass it back to Gilbert for his closing comments.
2: Thank you, Tim. Uh, in, in closing, um, and I would say in spite of all the constraints, this continues to be a very defining time for HLS as we're laying the groundwork for what we believe will be one of leading products for cardiovascular prevention in Canada. Over the past several years, we've identified the key steps required to advance VESIPA towards broad adoption and its peak year potential. Building on 2020's achievement in 2021, our momentum and progress has continued as we have expanded private payer reimbursement to more than 90% of eligible lives watch VACIPA get added to the CCS guidelines for cardiovascular prevention, and then engage in negotiations with the PCPA regarding public payer coverage. Our top priority for 2021 are to reach an agreement with public payers, through Salesforce expansion, augment our reach of all doctors, treating patients in-label with persistent cardiovascular risk, and continue the steady deployment of CSAN pronto. In the second half of the year, we plan to launch two products into the CNS market, and finally, we will continue to explore opportunities to expand our product portfolio through other in-licensing or M&A transactions in Canada and in the U.S. That concludes my prepared remarks. At this point, I will ask the operator to please provide instructions for asking a question.
1: Operator? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star, followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star, followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Okay, your first question comes from Noelle Atkinson from Claris Securities. Noelle, please go ahead.
0: Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
4: Uh, Good morning, Gilbert and Tim, and thanks for taking our questions this morning. Uh, First off, uh, you mentioned the negotiations with PCPA. Uh, Can you give us a sense of, that you know, whether negotiations are still tracking to the timeline that you had been hoping for before where you know you get this basically done by mid-year and uh be able to ha- be start getting on the the public plans in the second half of the year.
2: Good morning Noel. Uh thank you for your question. Uh, PCPA negotiations are indeed uh, uh tracking Our, our I, I guess I can mostly talk about our aim recognizing that mm-hmm. we're we're, we're only on our end of the of the process here our aim of course is to try to get to a mutually agreeable set of conditions during the course of the summer and uh, and to be in a position to leverage that that opening of the market in in the fall i think that would be consistent with the very message we've we've uh, we've delivered for more than a year now that uh, you know gaining public market access between 18 and 24 months following the approval of product is a pretty good result, uh, probably superior to the norm. So we think that given that uh, Visipa is a superior product, it, it could uh, uh, lead to this, this acceptance taking place in the, in the front end of it. But I think that 18 to 24 month period is still uh, notionally you know, where we would like to land uh but our aim is to try to make it happen earlier okay uh cool uh
4: so secondly uh on the sepa the, the the script data that you've provided in the webcast um can you talk a little bit about patient retention that you're seeing uh so as these early patients have come on to the uh, taking the drug and you know are, are they sticking through are you seeing re- recurring scripts happening at the, at the rate that you'd like to see
2: Yes, I'll, I'll try to give at Nuance a, an answer, and within the limit of what really we can extrapolate, uh, you know, some patients will uh, be provided with a SCREP. Those patients can meet a variety of uh, reimbursement conditions, some which are favorable to a much higher level of retentions, and and others less so. And what I mean by this is that if a patient gets a script and uh, is covered by a plan that has already adopted the product, well, their out-of-pocket is much more reasonable. The likelihood of them not having to face a steep uh, uh, copay uh, is, is, uh, is much better. And we notice that in those cases, especially when they're visible through our copay assistance program, the retention is at least as good as we expected, in some cases, higher. Uh, What is uh, harder to read is, of course, if a patient is a cash uh, patient because they're part of a public plan that has not yet made a determination, uh, or they're just cash payer because they don't have any specific coverage. uh, We know that the uh, the 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 burden of the full price is uh, is making it challenging in terms of retention. So I think some patients uh, will make uh, uh, an educated decision. And uh, they're more likely if they're publicly covered to uh, uh, try to estimate and maybe wait for the time at which uh, the, the, the drug would be covered, uh, lightening the burden for their, their out-of-pocket. So I, I think that uh, uh, the useful answer is that when conditions, proper reimbursement conditions are met, we have encountered, Well, it's still pretty early, uh, uh, I would say, adherence to treatment that is uh, uh, superior to what we, we thought it could be. Uh, kind of logical, considering that this is a cardiovascular uh, prevention drug, uh, but surprising because these these patients are often taking already a lot of drugs and now we're kind of compounding that, uh, that pill burden. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the last one for me right now, uh,
4: could you talk a little bit about like the, the marketing that you're the physician marketing that you're attempting to do here and um, over the summer into the fall. And it is the delay in the second vaccine doses that we're seeing in Canada versus some of the other countries. Do you see that that's having any impact that, you know, doctors aren't as willing to reopen their, their, their offices or patients aren't willing to sort of come back and do, you know, more elective activities until they're getting their second dose?
2: Yes. Uh, I, I guess my uh, my comment here will be more of an opinion nature than a factual one. Even if uh, south of the border, we're seeing the benefit of, of broadening the, the vaccination base, even if it's only one, um, one vaccine. Uh, I think the key element is the sanitary measures. How comfortable will the provinces, the institutions, uh, uh, how comfortable will they be uh, at, at uh, loosening some of the restrictions, allowing for the resumption of certain activities um, now that a certain portion of population has received at least once uh, one, if not, if not two, uh, vaccine doses? Uh, I, I think that's a key determinant. Um if the experience in the US uh was to replicate itself in Canada, I think we we will see that uh, happening. There's there's you know a lot of hope permeating through the uh uh the various commentaries from a business and political perspective in the US. So I think there's no reason why it should be dramatically different in, in Canada. Uh I think that in the meanwhile, to the front end of your question, uh, you know, it's been uh it's been a year, 14 months now of adaptation, of creativity. Uh, you know, doctors are seeing few, fewer patients, 25 to 35% fewer. Uh, uh, in addition, you know, as I said, their, their, their comfort at prescribing over the phone, because now they are seeing fewer uh, patients uh, face-to-face, is lower, right? 35 to 50% lower. Uh, That produces the gap that we talked about and that was illustrated on that chart. Now, on coming on our side of the equation, there's also some elements that are hampering uh, the effectiveness of our sales force. And our rep productivity is, I would say, good month, bad month, anywhere between 60 to 75% of what it used to be pre-pandemic. That's the number of calls we're doing in relation to the one we would do normally. And, of course, these calls that were for 95% of them face-to-face before the pandemic can fluctuate again, it was 45% in Q1, it was down from 58% in the fourth quarter. So lots of shifting uh, elements here, combining uh, uh, to to either sometimes boast a little bit of the picture, and but in most in most cases to reduce and create a slippage of sorts. So uh, the tools that we have comprise also of uh, uh, a lot of, of, of virtual-driven uh, means. We've been quite good at, uh, right out of the gate after the pandemic struck, uh, converting a lot of activity on webinars, whether they, they were continuous medical educations or a variety of, of uh, uh, educational forums. Uh, we were quite successful in doing so, A, from past experience in, in managing webinars, but also because all the material was ready. This was a launch. We were already ready in the first quarter to hit hard, and therefore that conversion, uh, while it, it took some retooling, uh, uh, was possible and probably more impactful than it could have been for, I would say, the average product being promoted. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're
1: welcome, Your next question comes from Justin Keywood from
5: GMP. Justin, please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, Nice to see the uh, EBITDA in the quarter. Just on the public reimbursement, I understand the timing being in the summer, but I'm wondering with the analog and the slide presentation, does that embed uh, scripts from public reimbursement, or is it primarily just on the private side?
2: yes i i want to be clear on the uh what what do we call the inflection point right is this sharp and fairly visible change in steepness of the curve and uh it comes from a a combination of factor but clearly and evidently the most important one is the public market opening in other words reaching an agreement that is now being uh, uh, joined by uh largest uh, and growing number of provinces over time. And the other component that is uh, tributary of that market opening is us, as, as explained along, uh, increasing our detail activity. We're talking of uh, uh, going from you know, 22, 23 sales territory, uh, layering on top of that an additional 50 or so. So uh, these two elements here One is an enabler, that's the market access. The other one is clearly a driver, uh, and that's a promotional activity. Okay. And then as far as the number of prescribers
5: uh, for VASIPA to their patients, uh, I believe it was around uh, 700 at the end of Q1. Are there some prescribers that are... Uh, utilizing the just because public reimbursement is not in place yet. Uh, so the question is, you know, are, are the prescribers, do there need to be public reimbursement in place or are they already
2: prescribing to the patients that have the private reimbursement? Good question, uh, Justin. Uh, it, it, it's never that clear cut, right? It's always a marbled uh, uh, picture here. We uh, are trying to be as mindful as possible when we look at uh, and when we determine the physicians that we will detail. We're, we're trying to understand if their clientele at this stage is made of uh, patients that have a greater access to private rather than a reliance on public uh, drug coverage. Right. So, this is part of the large pool of information that we need to mine and make those determinations uh, because it's pretty clear that uh, publicly covered patients will have uh, much lower likelihood of, of getting a script and continuing on the script uh, before their script is indeed covered by their plan. So uh, it doesn't exclude, however, uh, certain cases where a physician will write to the provincial drug plan to say, my, in the case of my patient, this is, this, is, this is the clinical picture, and that drug in this case is a necessity. And therefore, but these are exception cases uh, that we've encountered, that we've seen uh, in, in various provinces. Uh, they're not the norm. They're useful because they signal to the provincial authorities that uh, there's a drug that has yet to be the subject of a coverage determination, and, and doctors are aware of it, and the demand will probably grow over time. But that, that's more the way that these, these two separate worlds uh, evolve. The um, vast majority of the scripts we're seeing today are for patients privately covered, and uh, doctors are aware that the drug is not covered by public plans, and therefore, they're often not suggesting it to a patient. Uh, They're waiting for the public coverage to emerge.
5: Okay, that's helpful. And I just had one other question um, as far as the dividend. Uh, Just given that the space business has shown an ability to generate really good cash and it is a bit unique for a specialty pharma company to have a dividend. Is there any um, indication that you could see that dividend increasing uh, or is the primary purpose of using the cash flow to reinvest in the business?
2: Yes. I, I think, uh, you know, the territory of the dividend is the prerogative of the board. Uh, we have instituted that dividend a number of years ago and, uh, uh, our narrative is still the same. Uh, it's, it's a display of discipline. It's, uh, it shows our ability to grow the business, use cash from operations to grow the business and license product, convince and launches, yet at the same time, uh, uh, continuing the dividend uh, illustrates that, you know, we, we can actually be also shrewd in the way we manage the business and, and uh, return some of that benefit to our shareholders. Uh, I will not comment on likelihood of, of any kind of change, upward or downward on the dividend. Uh, can only reiterate that it's been in place now for a number of years, um, and uh, we're, we're, we're confident in the future. We continue to follow the same, the same plan, which is to um, use the, the um, the the cash coming from our operations to support and create growth for the bit of our shareholders. Um, And uh, I guess the dividends is a small component that has a a special significance to us and hopefully to our shareholders as well. Understood, and thank you for taking my questions.
5: You're welcome, Jackson. Thank you. Your
1: next question comes from David Martin from Blue Burton. David, please go ahead good morning joe bear and tim uh first question the uh the
6: guideline inclusion i'm wondering a has that accelerated your discussions and negotiations with pcpa and then the second element to that is how how do you use that commercially with the doctors it, you mentioned that 15 other countries had Vesipa in their guidelines already um, are, are there doctors that were waiting for the Canadian guidelines? Are you now able to promote uh, guideline inclusion where you couldn't before? What, what does it mean on the uh, on the ground?
2: Yes. Well, good morning, David, and thank you for your your question. Uh, you know, the the aspect of the guidelines. Uh, first of all, we're extremely happy. We're we we were waiting and hoping for them. Uh, and uh we're more than than uh, content with the the overall outcome they're nice crisp and 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 very clear uh and I think the effect of the guidelines uh will will manifest itself uh over a long time frame right There will be something that will start to be visible uh, very early on but of course, as the masses of physicians that have yet to uh, be exposed to the, uh, the promotional activity or sales force, and that will grow as we expand the sales force, uh, it will continue to give. Guidelines, uh, as, as uh, we mentioned in, in the, uh, in the in earlier in the call, uh, are, are truly the most important, most independent vantage point that compares uh, a therapy with everything else that could be done otherwise. And that's something that we can't do ourselves, right? because we're HLS, we're the sponsor, we brought this product to market, and while everything that we bring forward is factual, it's always looked at with uh, you know a certain grain of salt and with, with, with critical vantage point. Uh, and uh, uh, even an approval by Health Canada is, is deemed to be uh, positive, professional, and comprehensive, but Health Canada doesn't comment on where that drug fits in, in the, uh, the clinical environment. So that's the benefit of the guideline. It says, you know, having considered everything and being at the forefront of innovation, here's what we think. And this is coming from independent uh, experts in, in, in all walks of, 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 uh, of life and specialties. So uh, great benefit there. Uh, the guidelines is at the heart of what we will discuss with physicians over the next three, four, five, six months. We were getting ready, but having not seen the guidelines, we couldn't exactly prepare too much ahead of time. Once the guideline came out, uh, it became the vital content that has since been integrated in everything that we do. So face-to-face detailing, but also CME and and, Uh, everything that we help uh, uh, accomplish in in disseminating disseminating, uh, knowledge about uh, about the product. So uh, it it is permeating all aspects of our detailing, and it's such a good confidence builder that I I use the term groundswell. Uh, I think that's what it does, right? It kind of lifts uh, the whole future, everything else kept equal.
6: Okay. Um, Switching gears over to Clauseril, you mentioned you now have 31 Pronto sites. Um, First question on that is, how many sites do you eventually see Pronto being in? And the second thing is we haven't yet really seen a pickup in uh, patients, like you're continuing to grow them, but uh, at a similar pace as
2: before.
6: Is it just a matter of time before you start to see the impact of expanding the market? Or is this, is this going to be a slow grind and maybe harder than uh, what we had expected?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, first, uh, for, uh, to your first question, uh, David, you can think in terms of hundreds. Okay. Sites, uh, equipment deployed. Uh, I'm not going to say if it's 100 or 200 or 300, but it's it's uh, that uh, kind of scale. With respect to patients, I'm just going to ask you for one more qu- quarter of patients. Stay tuned. I think that Q2 will start to show the very concrete uh, benefit of, uh, of of Pronto, and uh, I think we've we forecasted that. Uh, the growth in the market uh, will be a component. Uh, our ability to reintegrate patients into the treatment that would otherwise didn't want to go uh, undergo clozapine therapy because of the traditional blood draws, and I think it might also show the, the competitive potential of this offering versus uh, uh, the traditional, and therefore. You know, it could bring existing clozapine patient under the realm of uh, a clozaril treatment over time. I think that uh, Q2 will start to lift the veil in that. Okay,
6: and my last question is a follow-up to uh, Justin. You mentioned something about 22 to 23 sales territories now, and adding 50. Um, Is that a geographical expansion or is that uh, going from covering mainly specialists to specialists and primary care? Is that all going to happen this year? And are are you still thinking of maybe using a third-party contract sales force for the uh, primary care sales?
2: Uh, Yes. Uh, First of all, uh, we're currently present in every single region in Canada. And therefore, the addition will be on the same footprint, but it will uh, add uh, prescribers that are not today currently in the portfolio of one of our reps, right? So it truly is going from, let's say, notionally 2,500 doctors uh, in the future uh, at maturity. There might be 12,000 doctors, right? So it it truly expands the the people we're covering, but we are today in every Single regions already. Uh, sorry, your your remind me. Your second question was in relation to.
6: Um, uh, is it going to go from the twenty two to twenty three? Oh, this year, yes, to, yes, 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 yes. Not all this yes. year. and is it
2: uh, a- our our aim? Our aim is to do it this year. Correct. Yes, Salesforce expansion happening in twenty twenty one, and you uh, know the base case all along has been to do it ourselves with our own people. What we've allowed ourselves to do and is still ongoing is a possibility to uh, join force with an existing participant in those physician's office, Uh, not a a, a contractual sales force. Okay, Um, and
6: when do you think you'll finalize that decision?
2: Well, uh, if if you think of the sequence here, public markets opening becoming really the ultimate gate. Uh, if this happens during the course of the summer, it means that uh, I would say at the latest in the fall uh, that Salesforce would would start to be deployed, uh, one way or the other. Right, the decision of whether it's going to be in house or external. Uh, is, uh, I don't mean to say secondary, Uh, the the timing regulates uh, some of our decisions and the process to constitute uh, that deployment.
7: Okay, thanks.
2: You're welcome. Thank you, David. Your
1: next question comes from Raul Sirogazer from Raymond James. Raul, please
8: go ahead. Thank you uh, morning Gerard Gilbert and Tim thank you so much for taking my questions uh, in fact actually most of my questions have been answered so I've got two relatively smaller ones um, so the first one is, is around your cost of goods um, recognizing that cost of goods came down quite materially uh, you know and particularly given that revenue was essentially flat you know when you subtract out the royalties how should we be thinking about cost of goods as a, as a you know as a proportion of total Rev going forward particularly as uh SEPA revenue ramps
2: Jim,
3: certainly thanks for well, I'm happy to uh help help with that um it it obviously cost of sales will will increase as sales increase we're currently um very fortunate to have a very low cost of goods on Clausero. uh it's a, we're able to produce that quite efficiently we will see Higher cost of goods on on Basipa, so it will will grow um, but it will be in, in in line with the sales growth
8: terrific and then uh, my second question is uh, again a little bit obscure. so we saw recently um, you know the appreciation of the Alzheimer's market with uh, Knight's acquisition uh, of of uh, Canadian rights to Exelon. so do you see any synergies between your current uh, CNS drug portfolio? And of course, your, your, you know, your, your CNS-focused sales force and the Alzheimer's drug market, uh, any specific opportunities there?
2: Yes, uh, thank you very much for good question here. You know, they're both in the psychiatric field. However, when we look at the setting of care, they're dramatically different. Right? Uh, Alzheimer's disease population is all often confined to, to retirement homes. Uh, or specialized institutions of that sort. Uh, the psychiatric patients we're treating are usually, you know, sch- schizophrenic or, or bipolar disorder, either treated in uh, a, finish, a physician's clinic, but most often, uh, in the case of schizophrenia, treatment is initiated in, uh, in an institution. So, different settings of care. Uh, we, we don't think that in the case of Exelon, it would uh, be or would have been fitting to our existing sales force and therefore uh, like a synergies. Uh, contrary to Priserys and definitely contrary also to the MyCare psychiatric assay that uh, is catering to the, the needs of the physicians that are treating schizophrenic patients, whether they're first-line or refractory, or bipolar patients that are not stabilized, and for which those those constant assessments are needed.
8: Uh, terrific. That's that's very helpful. Uh, I'll I'll get back in the queue.
1: Thank you, Ru. Your next question comes from Chelsea Stelic from IA Capital Markets. Chelsea, please go ahead.
9: Oh, hello. Good morning. I uh, I have a couple of questions. Uh, first off, I'm I'm just hoping to grab. Uh, some additional color on, on sort of the guidance for for patient uptake for Vasiva. I see that uh, you know you maintain your projected peak patient count, but uh, if you could just provide some additional color on on this current quarter and sort of the subsequent revisions to the range and the number of prescriptions. You know the the 5,525 that you have in the fifth quarter uh, post-launch, just kind of shy of the six to ten range that, that it was provided previously and, and sort of how you anticipate on catching up in the later quarters is a sort of related to vaccine rollouts etc.
2: Certainly good morning uh, Chelsea, thank you for, for your question. It, your question is, is a, a, a very tough one, that's why I use, I think I used the word uh, ingrate when I was talking about forecasting in the current environment in other words we we look backwards and we can explain what happened and and we can pat our back if if uh, if the growth has been strong like it's been the first quarter in spite of all of this uh this noise and those disruptions and i think when it comes to looking forward that's what we're facing and that's why we we're adopting this this notion of a, of a cone of some sort but even Now this notion of a cone is is predicated on certain things continuing to improve, in other words, a trend of improvement rather than a trend of deterioration. Um, When I look at the next two or three quarters, uh, what I expect and what I think will happen is more the shape of things to come than what will actually be truly embedded in the, uh, call them the absolute numbers. And the shape of things to come is what we keep referring to as the inflection point. The inflection point uh, represents momentum, represents a movement and a wave that is the sum of more doctors getting into the treatment because we're we're detailing more doctors and because the news is reverberating and that's thanks to the guidelines and all that that stuff. It's also more doctors uh, that are understanding that it's not about just one or two patients, it's about all of their patients. If a standard of care is well understood, it means that you, you don't discriminate between a patient that uh, is very ill and one that may be very ill next year. You jump on the, prote- on the prevention tool right away. So uh, I think that that inflection point will be triggered by the public market expansion and our uh, virtually tripling of, of the sales uh, sales force impact. But uh, the guidelines and the private reimbursement that is kind of purifying, you know, or, or gross to net uh, process will be contributing factor that will will countable the whole thing. So I realize that I'm not giving you a precise answer because, We've decided not to give more guidance than what we've put in that slide, and that defines a few boundaries. Uh, the condition is that the market is not going to plunge again, and we've said that before. Right? We thought in the spring of uh, 2020 that the market will only <laughs> improve beyond that point. Well, we've been taken for quite a ride since, uh, hence the basic prudence that uh, we're adopting now. But uh, there seems to be, we mentioned the five catalysts, uh, I, I think that the vaccination program in Canada give us hope. Uh, you could pick a point on, uh, on any part of that cone here, and I think that it will translate what I'm saying. That's the inflection point and a path towards the peak yourself. Uh If we get that uptake, and that stems from those developments coming in the summer, Uh, the product will be a very material product with hundreds of thousands of patients. Uh, The exact path for us to get there is, is is the one thing that we just haven't uh, found a a way to, to define with certainty, but we think that the end outcome is is a pretty sure thing. And that's because we have uh, uh, laid down the, the impetus here uh, and the prior example of, uh, life-saving drugs and uh, major cardiac event saving drugs
9: oh, thank you for that um, I guess just kind of on top of that I, I um, sort of in the, the slide above just looking at more color on how you estimate the gap in patient visits um, you know between the actual new patients and then the expected new patients if there's no pandemic how much uncertainty would you expect for for this patient gap that you estimated, for instance?
2: Yes, the uh, the, the, the chart on the right here is a chart that we we didn't produce. Uh, it was uh, produced by uh, e- expert and re- referenceable uh, organizations, uh, you, and and the intent here was not to try to say where' where's this curve heading. It really was, the intent really was to say, here's a gap. Uh, Here's what we're trying to uh, work against as it happens. And this is a vision on on, on looking backward. uh, Where are we today? I think that gap is uh, hopefully going to be closing in the next three months. So it begs two question, right? Returning to normal condition makes us more efficient, makes doctors more efficient. That in itself has some benefits. The second question is, well, what's happening with all that? Should we call it a backlog? Is it a reservoir of patient? Uh, we we think it's not a reservoir of patient, but it will uh, yield increases in doctor visits. Uh, in, in in other words, there's going to be you know m- more coming back, but not the totality of it coming back. So. That, that was more the, the intent here, to try to, to show here how we've done uh, with the closest thing to a baseline of activity and to show that how we've done the stability of our performance in this erratic and fairly chaotic environment uh, is, is hard to negate and, and to provide a vision of hope that when things get back to normal, there should be a lift And that list is of two nature, right? Just normal activity returning, uh, better proficiency, better efficiencies, uh, and also maybe a little extra from all those patients that have missed appointments and have delayed their recourse to novel therapy over the last year.
9: Thank you. And just the last question for me, um, sort of, you know, given the recent M&A activity in the spec pharma space, sort of what you alluded to, and then also... Value. Just kind of wanting to gauge your appetite on adding to your product pipeline for the for 2021.
2: Yes, a lot of our focus. We always keep an eye open uh, on uh, existing therapeutic areas, making Salesforce more productive, uh, making sure that the key assets in each of those Salesforce is not. Uh, 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 we don't distract ourselves from. From the benefit of making Visipa the biggest possible product that we can, but there's always uh, some, some running up benefits of adding products in, in the bag. So that's one element. It's, um, in the Canadian environment, it's not easy. Uh, you know, price controls are make it hard to find uh, novel products that will get the favor of those uh, various uh, agencies uh, um, as a you know, prelude to a launch but we're still looking uh, all the time. That's how we added MyCare and how we added Perceris to the mix. Our focus continues to be on uh, uh, the possibility to significantly expand our presence in the US. Uh, and that would be under the form of a, uh, a, an existing commercial platform. And that platform could be the base of future additions uh, That th- in themselves could bring, you know, uh, growth uh, and possible synergies as well. Uh, in doing so in that fairly segregated fashion, uh, we can continue to maximize the outcome in, in, uh, in Canada with those products being launched. Uh, yet, uh, continue our quest for more scale. Uh, more scale, because more scale, uh, you know, gives more means, gives uh, also Uh, gives us a visibility to a much greater number of stakeholders. I think we've shared also openly our intent to eventually be uh, uh, traded in in the U.S. Well, we'll do so when, uh, you know, those elements of scales are being met to a certain level, to a minimal level, and uh, I I think that HLS as a company will continue to become more and more palatable uh, and an exciting story, not only because of ISEPA and CLAWSREL, but because of uh, those uh, uh, those specific uh, subsequent um, deployments that we might do in the U.S.
9: Okay, thank you for that. Uh, I'll jump back in the queue.
2: Thank you,
1: Chelsea. Your next question comes from Tanya Gonzalez from Panacorce Community. Please go ahead.
7: Good morning, gentlemen, thank you my questions. Um, most of them have been answered, so just a couple for me here. Firstly, I'm wondering if you can provide more color on when is the best time to introduce or suggest Visipa to a patient in the course of that them being in label? Would it be at the immediate time when they actually enter the label requirements or several years when they've been living with with elevated CV risk. And why I'm asking that is coming out of the COVID pandemic, I think you made some previous comments about how many patients have delayed seeking therapy. Has this created any kind of bolus in your addressable population coming out of the pandemic where perhaps patients are going to be more amenable to starting a new therapy having just entered the label?
2: Thank you very much. Good morning, uh, Tanya. It's a very good question. It's a foray into uh, current and longer-term uh, uh, strategies and the psyche of the, uh, the physicians as this thing evolved. You know, if you think of uh, of statin as an example, uh, when statins were first introduced, they were used in, in the population at greater uh, risk because their bad cholesterol was through the roof. Uh, over time, there was a recognition that the lower the number, the better, right? So the, the threshold for, for LDL levels kept going down and down and down, and the benefit of the statin kept uh, uh, ref- being reflected in the reduction in uh, a cardiovascular event. So, you know, with visipa it's a different situation. We're not, as we say, we're not treating to a number, right? We, we're not reducing LDL. Uh, triglycerides are a marker of risk, uh, but even low triglycerides, uh, their presence of a certain level, 135 or 150 and up here, uh, is sufficient to, to mark the risk. Uh, and, and therefore, when using Visipa, you don't necessarily see a biomarker result. So uh, it has to come from the full appreciation and understanding of the clinical demonstration that there's a reduction in all those five major cardiac events, including death when you use Vissepa for anyone, anyone that is meeting uh, one of the two population criteria. So established cardiovascular disease, that's usually pretty straightforward. We all recognize that the risk is greater than. They're more at the center of the bullseye. But, you know, all those diabetic patients, that are, uh, uh, have stabilized their cholesterol with a statin, have elevated triglyceride in at least one risk factor, reduce it has shown the benefit in, in uh, an undeniable way. Uh, so uh, waiting in prevention, waiting very rarely leads to anything good, uh, but it's not going to happen over a year. I think that in similar fashion to the statins, I think that the, the clinicians will first prioritize patients with established cardiovascular disease or the ones, the diabetic patients that have more than one risk factor and are kind of more obvious in terms of their, their risk. The other uh, bias, and I'll stop after that, is that clinicians now are mindful of uh, the, the reimbursement status of the patient. So that creates a selection of, uh, of sort right now. Right, you, you could have a patient with uh, a somewhat higher perceived risk. But if it's the patient is probably covered, the doctor will probably wait until the coverage occurs. In the case of the private, um, it's an easier decision to make.
7: Okay. Understood. Thank you. Um, and then I'm following up on David's previous question, not to harp on this, but in terms of the sales build out, are you going to wait until you have public reimbursement before starting to hire that 50 to 55 person additional sales team? Or will you start adding them in anticipation of uh, gaining public reimbursement?
2: Yeah, it, it, it's more the latter. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's both an art and a science to try to dovetail processes, one that we control one that we don't. Uh, ideally, they, they would happen in, in sequence, but uh, it's more the latter. Uh, the planning and some of the operational steps are being taken as we speak. Our aim is to come to a positive uh, uh, conclusion on the negotiation and to see those elements then converge. But uh, uh, the, the, the planning and the execution of the Salesforce expansion is going to happen on a, uh, a time frame that we control, and uh, if something's got to give, uh, it's not going to be that one. Understood. Okay.
7: And, and does this occur, this jump in your sales team size, would this occur all at once? Like, would you hire all 50 people and have a training program in place that they all go through and then are all deployed, or is this more of a gradual build?
2: No, it it would uh, uh, most of the time you want to do this in in a clear one shot fashion. Otherwise, you you end up having to uh, redraft territories time and time again, and uh, that's very counterproductive. We want to create strong relationships with the prescribing physicians. Have some continuity here, and uh, too many shifts in in Salesforce configuration can be disruptive. So. Uh, it, it would be a uh, kind of a one-bang.
7: Excellent. Um, and then last one here, just some housekeeping, housekeeping question. I've noticed that your share-based comp line has been a little higher than normal over the last two quarters. Is this a new run rate, or like where should we see that line stabilize?
2: Tim do you want to comment?
3: Happy to do so. Thank you, Tanya. Um, yeah are the last couple quarters have been more representative I think if you go look at the year ago period um there was there were some um um uh, income inclusions based on the share price decreasing that resulted in a and a and a benefit or an income inclusion share based uh, compensation so what what we're seeing right now is probably more representative going forward Excellent
7: thank you Tim thank you Javier. that's it
1: for me
3: Thank you, Tanya.
1: That's all the time we have for questions
2: today. I'll now turn it back to Gilbert
1: for closing remarks.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Colin. Thank you. And thank you all for your participation on today's call. We look forward to reporting to you on our progress uh, throughout the year. Goodbye. Have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen,
1: this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your line